Hello out there. Welcome to the first episode of Searching with JTG. My name is Jason Tyler Grace. I just recently moved back to the United States after living in Costa Rica for the past five years. I am really excited to be starting this podcast and... This is the first episode. The idea of it is that I have spent most of my life searching for something, some kind of significance, some kind of meaning, some kind of understanding. It is kind of a pain in the ass. It's been going on for so long. I'm beginning to accept it. My first guest is Austin Maples, who is a tattooer and much more. He works in Los Angeles at Enjoy Tattoos. It's his own shop. He has a clothing company called Maples Merchant, which makes really badass shit. And man, he's got a lot going on. He was kind enough to be my first guest. We got off to an interesting start since it's my first episode. There really wasn't much of an intro. What do you want from me? It's my first attempt. Yeah. I think it's going to be really good. I've got some really interesting guests coming up, and we will be exploring. The idea is that I want to interview people that I look up to, people that inspire me, people that I watch, and I wonder how they do what they do. What have they learned along the way? What have they struggled with? What have they overcome? A lot of the guests are going to be tattoo artists. I've been tattooing for 21 years or something, so that's a lot of my community. But it'll run the gamut. It'll be people I've met on my travels. It will be people I've met through tattooing. We'll have artists and business people and creators of all sorts and philosophers and who the fuck knows. The world is an oyster. This is like, uh, you know, it's a work in progress. Let's see what happens. I hope you enjoy it the beginning eh, there's no intro so maybe just uh, stick with it i think it gets pretty interesting towards the middle end maybe it does from the beginning who am i to say so uh, fucking enjoy maybe tell me one of the most significant things that you learned from your parents or as a kid growing up hmm i would say the most significant thing that I've learned from my parents as a kid or a young adult or probably teenager, I guess, would be very opposite from both of them. But my father gave me a job when I was 11. I had a lot of aspiration to own things I couldn't afford, skateboards and such. And um, he gave me a job and told me to make some money and buy them if I wanted them. And I have... I consider it like a really good work ethic. And I think it's because I've had a job since I was a little kid. It's gotten me farther than anything else in life, I think, which I really appreciate. Well, maybe not. I think what my mom taught me might be more important, but they go together well. My mom is like really kind and emotionally capable and um, just communicates a lot and really well. She kind of forced that on me as a kid. I hated it when I was a kid. Um, but now as an adult, my favorite thing to do is communicate and be emotionally capable for people. And yeah, those are my two most important favorite things that I took from them. And I guess I should say thank you for being the first guest on my podcast. Dude, I appreciate it. I'm so excited. I got butterflies. <laughs> so yeah, with that work ethic that your dad gave you, I've noticed that with you. I've talked with our buddy Adam about you and 
your work ethic. And we kind of both agreed that one of the things that has set you apart uh, has been kind of your tenacity and your relentlessness of focus. And uh, so I'm curious about, well, now I know where that kind of was instilled from your dad. Do you, do you set yourself goals? Do you, do you have ideas of like a list of things that you want to accomplish over the next, do you have like a five-year plan or are these things that you just kind of approach randomly? Yeah, totally. Like, is it kind of just a natural progression or, or do I plan these things deliberately? Uh, a little bit of both. I think like probably in the last four years, it's been like extremely deliberate plans. I think like my work ethic had a natural progression to getting like to a point in my career, you know, specifically like to idle hand. And then I was with like successful adults and realized that to further myself in like my career and adulthood, I needed to plan a little bit. I just saw peers doing that in the last four years, like my getting to the next step in like my career or even just in my like personal life has been like such large like feats to climb that I've had to like plan them out. It's been less of, I think it started as like a, oh, I want to do cleaner line work. And then that was just like, a, I'm just going to try and do that type of thing. Or like, I want to learn how to paint. And then I would just like paint. And then it turned into like, I want to learn more about nonviolent communication. And like, I want to learn more about the stock market or like, how to buy a home and then those were like i need to like read books practice stuff and just a lot more planning and then it slowly turned into like from there to like year yeah like year-long planning so yeah i would say it's pretty deliberate now and like planned out uh, specifically right now i am planning for this time next year like what i'm gonna accomplish in this next year specifically and working on it like bi-weekly. I guess I've, I've noticed through working with you over the years and for people that don't know our relationship, we both used to work at Idle Hand and you started there after I was there. We look the same, it's insane. How yeah. You and I have <laughs> so many similarities, I but I would go there and I would look at you as a younger version of myself, but in sitting where I used to sit and going to drink at Molotov's across the street. And it was so bizarre, but there were so many things that I was impressed with, with you. And one of the things I noticed was that you always just kind of used the same, you used like two machines and you never really varied. And I, I think you probably used the same setup for everything. Whereas I was always like, I'd have like 15 different machines and it was different every time. But I think I that- think I'm still using the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's a level of your your focus and maybe like your ability to chunk things. So like you were talking about how you had started working at Idle Hand and, and saw people doing things and realized that you wanted to learn to do clean line work. So you focused on that. And then you wanted to learn to paint. So you focused on that. And there might be some simplicity in the way that you approach things, like how Seinfeld just wears the same thing every day. So it takes that question out. Really? Do you feel like that's a strength? I think there's a, yours? I think I know what you're, what you're getting at, or I think I've thought about what you're getting at, like in my own regard, but 
for me, I don't even know if this is a good answer, but it came to mind because I've noticed it like being around other tattooers and especially you and the way you draw on tattoo as opposed to like me, even though we're quite similar people or quite different tattooers. Um, I knew how to draw before tattooing, but not specifically at all, like anything but manipulating letters for graffiti and maybe like a weird octopus cartoon or something like that. So like tattooing for me has been like specifically, I've learned how to like be artistic through tattooing. So I've had, and there's so many avenues, like you said, like so many machines you can use, size needles, types of tattooing styles, styles within styles. And I've had, I started off trying to do everything, but realized like, I'm not very good at drawing. Like I need to like focus on one of these and figure it out, or I'm not going to be anywhere near, um, an equivalent to like my peers. And I think that's what you're, what you've seen is like, I found that it was, I was more successful when I like picked a lane. Like I, and I, and idle hand taught me that, you know, I went there and I was trying to be good at everything. And like the, I got told there like, Hey, you don't need to do Japanese stuff. Like there's lots of really good Japanese tattooers in the city. If somebody comes in for like a sleeve like that, you should pass it on to maybe said person. And it made me realize like, okay, well I want to tattoo like this and I don't know how. And I think um, it's okay to focus on that here is what I noticed. And I just started focusing there was a lot, I realized right away, there was a lot of steps I needed to take before I could even do that. Like my lines aren't as clean as everyone's, my shading's not as clean as everyone's, like my tattoos don't heal as good. I can't draw like anybody here. And so I focused one at a time. Yeah, like you said, where I notice other tattooers maybe like come from an artistic background and they have like this sky's the limit of capability artistically. And then they try to hone it into like each thing, but it, it like offers a wider array of, of use of what they can like use in tattooing. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, maybe I paint with this fine line thing. And then I, I can do a tattoo that looks like that. I'll use this size needle and these types of inks. And I don't have any of that in my head at all. I'm like, I want my stuff to look like this and I have no clue how to fucking do it. I don't even know how to draw it, let alone tattoo it. So I got to just like focus on that. Yeah. And now you draw without reference, right? You, you pretty much have all this stuff stored away in your my head. muscle memory and head. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. I think it's veering way more towards that. Like I would way rather now either draw something on or draw it. Yeah. Without reference, like, digitally or whatever but um i would say maybe 10 percent of the time i use reference now and then so the way that you got there was a similar approach would you just pick like okay i'm gonna learn to draw a rose and then study different styles of how to draw this rose over and over and over until you kind of got it i mean uh, to be blatantly honest it was just like uh, ripping people off and like tracing stuff that wasn't mine I think really just tracing stuff. Like when I started trying to paint flash, I wanted to like get things to look like something. So I would trace, like all I had was the yellow sailor Jerry book. So I would trace something out of there and then try and verbatim get the shading to look the same. But then when I'd be tracing something, I'd be like, well, this is so weird. Like none of these sails match up like this ship cannot move. 
but it looks <laughs> so cool. And then I would like remember that for later. And now I can like draw a ship and I'll use the same thing. I won't make things make sense. I just make them look cool. That's and cool. So you're not concerned about me, whether it's correct or not. It's more just about the power. No. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't care if it's correct at all. I mean, if you go look at any of my ships, none of the ropes match up. They're just, there's just lines of ropes everywhere. They, they don't make sense, but they fill the space. And I learned that from tracing other people's stuff. I mean, even at one of the first shops I worked at in Australia, there was a guy there, Liam, that I was working with and he would draw these really cool roses. And like when he would leave the room, I would like trace them to try and yeah figure out how did he do that and then i would try and emulate that and you know prior i got into tattooing just prior to social media so there was no harm in it's not like anybody knew that i was like trying i didn't even really know that that wasn't okay but nobody really knew that i was like trying to tattoo like them there was no one to even see it nobody was looking at my tattoos nobody knew where to find me i was i had a blackberry like i wasn't taking pictures of them so I got a good chunk of years of just like tracing stuff and trying to tattoo like other people. And it taught me all these little tricks that to answer your question, I think it happened organically. Like I remember a day where I go to start a painting and I like drew an eagle and I was like, holy shit, I drew the eagle by myself <laughs> and it looks cool. And then I like drew some roses behind it and they looked really cool. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I didn't like trace any of this. And that's and awesome. it was like just out of my head, but like a combination of tricks from like lots of people, you know. That's rad. So uh, tell me about you grew up in in Northern California and then you went to Australia. Was that the first time you traveled internationally? No, no, not at all, actually. So, yeah, I grew up in Northern California. Growing up, I was really fortunate to have like some close family friends that mother of the family was from Belgium. And in the summers, they would fund my way to go to Europe with them so that I could keep their son company that I was friends with. So every summer we would go to Belgium, Switzerland, sometimes Germany. We went to Egypt once and my parents took me to Mexico. I think that was about it. But for, I don't know, since the age like 12 to 18, I had gone to Europe quite a bit. So yeah, I got to do quite a bit of traveling. And then um, when I was 17, I was running one of my dad's restaurants and a man from Marin bought a franchise of it and was going to open it in Australia. And I trained him to run the business. Prior to finding tattooing, I my plan was I didn't really have any like after high school kind of plan. I wasn't going to go to college and I didn't know what I was going to do for work. So I thought that I would just go to Australia and work at my dad's restaurant. And I had this aspiration to travel. So I thought it would be like a way to fund living somewhere else. And, and then I fell into tattooing and like totally forgot about it. And at the end of my apprenticeship, kind of started seeing all these tattooers I liked coming out of Australia and magazines and stuff. And it kind of jogged my memory like oh i was gonna go to australia maybe i should still do that so i um, yeah packed up when i was 19 and moved there and then how did you get your apprenticeship it's kind of i don't know it was just like really natural i um the first time i well i actually i got offered my apprenticeship but prior to it i had got offered another one when i was when i was 14 i was getting tattooed by this 
local tattooer in his garage. And I had like drawn a bunch of tattoos that I wanted to get tattooed. I was showing him them and he was going to change one and he changed it. And there was something I noticed that I wanted different. I asked him if I could just like show him on paper and he was like, sure. And I, I drew it and he was, had kind of affirmed that he liked my drawing and asked if I like wanted to be a tattooer and said he would teach me if I wanted to. And at the time I, I was like, Oh no, dude, I don't, I don't want to be a tattooer. I don't, I'm not even in high school. Like <laughs> I just like went up, got my tattoo and went about my way. And then I never thought about it again at all, to be honest. But at the age of 18, I had quite a few tattoos, maybe like 20 to 30, somewhere in between there. At 18? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I mean, I had a job since I was 11 and I had a fake ID when I was 13 that for just to buy cigarettes. And when I was 14, I realized, oh shit, I can get tattooed with this. It says I'm 18. <laughs> so I started just going to tattoo shops, spending my paychecks on getting tattooed. But the ID was expired and I could only really go to like the worst shops to get tattoos. The better ones always noticed that it was expired or were like, dude, this is fake, you know? So at the age of 18, I was excited. There was this guy, Sal, that I wanted to get tattooed by. Like one of the cooks at the restaurant had a bunch of stuff from him and it was really good. And it was at like the one of like one of the best shops in town. And so I had some money and I went there and had these drawings and they were actually, tra this is kind of funny. This is the beginning of my tracing. I had traced them from Angelique Camp. I didn't know who she was at the time, but I found them on Google and I traced them and then changed them. I changed these roses. They were like two girl heads. I brought them in and I was like, yeah, I, I drew these. They were like, Oh, they knew I didn't because everybody <laughs> knows who she is. <laughs> they were like, okay, okay, kid. Yeah, you drew these. I wanted them on my thighs, but I only had three hours until I had to work. And so they they were like, well, we can tattoo both both your thighs at the same time and you'll be to work on time. Or we can do one and you come back another day. And I, I didn't even really think about the pain aspect. I was just like, awesome. I just want these done. I'm stoked to be here. Let's do them both at the same time. So this guy, Jared and Sal, who taught me, like I was sitting spread eagle on a bench and they both tattooed my thighs and I, it, it was horrible. It was like the worst thing ever, but uh, we had a good time. And I was like, yeah, I want to get a bunch more tattoos. They were like, well, you should come back later this week and like let's talk about it and I was like okay cool so to shorten the story I basically just like got really comfortable there and I started coming to the shop like every morning with cigarettes and donuts and coffee and I would meet everyone there and I'd give them I I worked at night and I wasn't going I only went to school I was on independent study so I went to school 30 minutes a week I started work at like six o'clock at night so every day I would just drive to the tattoo shop and sit in the lobby and draw graffiti and like natural progressions I started answering the phone and then I would clean the tubes and they would give me like discounts on tattoos and I just started letting everybody like do whatever they wanted on me because I just wanted tattoos and I was enamored by how good they were and um not knowing but in hindsight I think they all assumed I wanted an apprenticeship which I didn't at all I hadn't even once thought about tattooing I I liked my job for my dad and I was just trying to graduate high school. And one day I was getting tattooed after hours and Sal had asked me like, so do you think you want to be a tattooer? And I think I answered the same as I did when I was 14. I was like, no, not at all. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure. <laughs> he was like, well, I'd 
I want to offer you an apprenticeship, but I think you should uh, think about it for the week and let me know next week. And I was like, okay. I went home and thought about it for not very long and then went in the kitchen and quit my job with my dad and showed up at the tattoo shop the next day and was like, let's go. Awesome. Here I am. So you just moved to LA from San Francisco and opened up your own shop. After yes, sir. How many years were you at Idle Hand in San Francisco? Just shy of nine years. Wow. How was it to leave and to go start something new? It's weird with COVID, with the COVID situation, because I feel like it's been harder to dig up the emotions that I know are there, but aren't in front of me. Because of the social distancing with everyone at the shop, I feel like this kind of like emotional distance was already set prior to deciding to leave. And then when leaving... We didn't get to like have much of a communal goodbye. And um, it was such a communal shop, like such a family. Uh, totally. Family vibe at that shop I, was crazy. Yeah. And I think kind of without COVID, I don't think, I mean, I think at some point I would have, but I, I, it made it easier for me to make the decision because it wasn't as heart wrenching because we had kind of made this natural distance already. But yeah, it was it was weird, man. I, I kind of just like, it was also a lot to decide to open the shop and then all the planning around it that I was like almost not purposely, but like extremely distracted from what the reality of like leaving somewhere that I had been for nine years was. But it was really sad. I, I took, I realized that I hadn't taken time to sift through my emotions yet. So like a couple weeks before I left, I went and like sat at the beach put in my headphones just to noise cancel a little bit and um wrote holly a letter and i just kind of started trying to like think about like my first day at the shop and like write a letter while i like thought about my nine years of being there and i was just bawling like so hard i was like crying the whole time i was writing it and i was like wow i think i'm super sad but I f it felt really good after to just like find that thing that was there that i was maybe ignoring a little bit or not having time to focus on and and then it felt pretty lackluster leaving everybody was busy and gone and rightfully so like it, it was christmas time you know and also covid nobody was seeing each other so but then again on my drive to la i was by myself in my truck and like halfway here and it kind of hit me again and then i was crying and Turned on some sad music to just lean into it and then <laughs> cried a little more. What's your sad um, music go to? Uh, I like, well, specifically the song Skinny Puppy by Bonnie Bear. Oh my God. Or Skinny Love, sorry. Yeah. Skinny. It's so good. <laughs> Skinny Puppy. Yeah, I like that song. Makes me happy and sad at the same time. Yeah, all of his albums. Ugh. Yeah, they're so good. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was bitter. It was like, I don't know. I think it was time. It, it wasn't like nothing, no animosity, nothing bad. I was sad, but it felt like healthy. I think since I'm so young, it's the first time I've really done anything for that many consecutive years in general in life. And the first time that I've made a huge shift for myself. How old are you? I'm 29. Not that young. I'm not that young, but I started at Idlehand when I was 20. And I had lived in Australia, but 
that felt like such a rash decision. It was just like super sporadic. And I really specifically wanted the job at Idle Hand and I got it. And I stayed there for a really, really long time because I loved it so much. And there was really no reason to leave at all. So it was besides like trying to make myself uncomfortable and like further try to do something like new. So was that part of it? You wanted to kind of disrupt your like how smooth everything felt you wanted some yeah, I just discomfort wanted to, yeah i wanted i wanted to push myself i felt like i reached a plateau of pushing myself there i got really comfortable and so comfortable it felt so good like i loved it i never wanted to leave the place but i wasn't finding myself having like any pressure anymore like i wasn't pushing myself further and and not due to lack of like creativity in the shop everybody's amazing i think i just we were so close and so much like family that it just yeah it was just really comfortable i just i don't know i can remember that moment i moved to australia when i was 19 and i was so fucking uncomfortable and i grew so much in one year like more than i ever have and same when I started at Idleham, like I was so uncomfortable and I tried so hard to like fit in and get better and make friends. And, and I've stopped doing that because there wasn't any need for it anymore. Like all my friends were there and everything was comfortable and I had client, all my clients and it, it was awesome. I already feel it in LA. I, I feel so uncomfortable and so nervous every day. And I'm trying 10 times harder than I have in like years and it's, it's awesome. And I'm like see it reaping benefits of, of it like right away. It's how, how so? How so what? Am I how so are you benefits? reaping the benefits? How, how can you see that in your daily life from that change? I can see it in my clientele, like coming into the spot that I built with my hands that I created and give like curating this whole experience from the moment they walk in the door to the moment they leave and watching everybody like well, listening to them tell me that it was an amazing experience or that they really love the place or they're proud of me and getting to feel a little bit closer and more intimate with the clients that I love so much. And, and I feel this sense of greater responsibility that everything is kind of my, it's my responsibility, like, you know, working for somebody else, like it's my responsibility to do a good tattoo, but um, the experience that they get from walking to into the shop and leaving the shop is not really my responsibility. So, yeah, yeah, just like all of that, has just really just pushed me to try really hard. That's yeah, that's really cool. And then, I mean, Idle Hand is a really high energy shop. It's pretty loud. The music is loud. There's a lot of people coming in and going out, and it's got a very raucous vibe a lot of the time so how has the transition been to that because now you're working on your own right? it's weird but <laughs> nice like that like with owning my own shop there's a lot more responsibility i don't have counter help so i'm i'm in there early like cleaning the floors and sanitizing and lighting candles and doing what i play music and getting ready for the clients so i don't notice the quiet when my clients are there like i actually almost prefer it just because I've got to this point where I've tattooed the same people for so many years that and we only get to see each other sometimes two or three times a year I consider them friends and we have a lot to catch up on and it's actually kind of nice like having some smooth jazz playing quietly in the background and we're like able to speak without 
worrying of being obnoxious or too loud or even like divulging information to each other that you know is yeah. more intimate or something it, it just feels like comfortable and it's it's great i love it it does seem like but, there's maybe a bit of intimacy in, in the way that you work like i i've noticed working alongside you that you tend to talk to your client a lot and i think that opens the doors up to allowing them to be open and honest and you are kind of inherently open and honest so yeah man, i, can I know you're anyway. off a wall so what's that i said i can talk the ear off a wall <laughs> yeah and you, you i know you kind of got shit about that sometimes so it must be kind of peaceful to to just have that moment with the person because that's the way that you like to work yeah totally yeah i think i got shit in a good way like i but i don't know i'm i'm a bit too empathetic at times like knowing that sometimes it can be obnoxious that i talk from the moment I get in the shop to the moment I leave makes me it doesn't make me feel bad about talking but I want everybody to be comfortable so sometimes I try to talk quieter or maybe talk a little bit less um, and even that's so a form nice of empathy just, you know being yeah. concerned about the way that you're affecting the environment because of wanting to talk exactly and it's nice noticing that that's not there but I did hire an employee already so I do have that feeling a little bit already but I, I also have a little bit of community in there so it's not it's not the same as out of hand at all you know i don't have a storefront there's no hustle and bustle and like loud movement at all it's still very chill vibes it's nice to have a little bit of camaraderie already and someone to bounce off of and is that a shop helper or another tattooer no i hired a tattooer his name's graham harrington cool so do you do you are you kind of like a ritualistic person? Do you set yourself up kind of a schedule to follow? I know you have a lot of things going on. Do you schedule them out? Do you have a morning routine or anything? Yeah, I'm ritualistic. I would say the only thing I stick to is I talk to my therapist once a week. That's my specific thing that I do. But on a daily basis, I try to wake up and give myself like an hour to relax. And I usually make coffee and play some relaxing music and just sit in bed and drink coffee and either talk to my girlfriend or sometimes I'll do, you know, work-ish stuff, reading an email or getting a hold of somebody. Maybe I'll call a friend, but I just spent, take an hour to do whatever I want to do. That's not planned. And then outside of that, I'm an insanely strict planner. Most every day, I probably have like two people that I either need to do a Zoom call or meet before work. Usually one at like nine. I'll wake up at eight. I'll meet somebody at nine. I'll meet somebody at 10. I'll be to work by 11. I'll get ready. My first appointment's there at 12. My second one's there at four. I'm done at eight. I go home. I eat food. I maybe watch a little bit of a movie or something and go to sleep. And that so and that's all naturally ingrained into who you are. There, you haven't had to make an effort to to be that way. That just suits you, and that's the way that you operate. Um, yeah, I mean, I no, I guess I've had to make an. Uh, you mean the planning part, or like that? Yeah, like that's out. how you thrive. And like, do you ever wake up and look at your schedule and have a feeling like, oh fuck, I just don't want to do any of this. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do these things. Does that does that uh, happen to you? <laughs> I think more. I like say like, who the fuck planned this day? This is crazy. I'm constantly like. Oh my God, why do I have so much stuff to do? Like, how do I 
I just feel like I don't have enough time for myself most of the time, um, yeah. which is something I'm trying to add into my planning. Right now, I'm making Mondays and Tuesdays just for me and my girlfriend to hang out and have quality time with each other and no, no distractions. And then outside of that, I love working. It makes me feel really good and super accomplished. And I love my job. And it's also, there's a huge personal aspect to it. So I, I get that gain as well. So it all works out great. But well, okay, so I have ADHD. And I think that my I'm like not medicated for it. But I think my self medication has been planning. And I've noticed that like when I don't have a plan, I get really anxious. I basically always have something planned, even if it's not planned. Like I'll have a car I'm working on or a motorcycle I'm working on that doesn't have a time frame. It needs to be done. But then if I have a day where there's no plan, I've already planned that I need to finish this thing. So it's, it works for me. I'm fucking jealous. I, <laughs> I know that I'm better in that way. And I have this natural inclination to resist as much as humanly possible to do anything that makes me feel good. <laughs> That's crazy. I know, especially because I know that I'm better when I do those things. So you are incredibly successful, I think, in part through Instagram. You have a huge amount of followers there, and it's an avenue that you use a lot to to get your work out there and with Maples Merchant, kind of all your different yeah, ventures. Totally. And living in today's modern world where we're so easily distracted and kind of connected to our phones compulsively, do you modify or do you moderate your time that you use your phone? Do you feel like sometimes you're spending too much time do you kind of avoid it in the mornings? How do you approach your use of the phone when so much of your business is done through that? Um, it's kind of gone in waves. Like I think at the beginning of Instagram, I was like glued to it and it was so new. I, I had never even had an iPhone. Like I got an iPhone to like get Instagram and, or maybe I had just gotten an iPhone and Instagram came out and, um, I just, I, I had never had clientele and like I immediately was getting it from using Instagram at literally immediately, like the next day after I got on Instagram, I had somebody booking an appointment because they saw something and in hindsight would consider myself not very good at tattooing at all. It was, it blew my mind. So I was thirsty or hungry, however you want to say it. And I, I just noticed that that was going to feed me and I got glued to it and just like kept pushing really hard. And then I would say like a couple years ago, well, maybe like five years ago, I started really trying to brand myself really well. And it was exhausting because I didn't know how to do certain things. It was a lot more work editing images a certain way and making them all cohesive and putting backgrounds on stuff. And it started becoming like something I had to plan out. I couldn't just like use Instagram for work right away. I had to take a picture I liked and then go and edit it and then decide to put it on the internet. And that led to like distancing myself a little bit from it and taking more time to like curate it specifically, which felt really good because I was getting a better return from it, but spending less time being actually social on it. I realized when doing that, that I didn't like using Instagram. It was like felt unhealthy to me. What I was doing outside of just like putting a picture up to show people like just like staring at it. And so now 
the trajectory of that has led me to I don't want to use it at all. Like I, I'll kind of get like a month's worth of photos and I'll edit them all and I'll post them maybe every other day. And then I'll not really like, besides maybe putting a story up here or there, I won't post anything for like a month or more at a time and try and stay off of it if I can. Uh, maybe I, I'll go check it just to make sure once a day for like yeah. 10, 15 minutes. It's a little different right now because I moved and like, I want people to know that I'm here and that I'm opening a shop. So I'm finding myself paying more attention, but I can notice that it feels unhealthy. And I'm actually in the process of hiring somebody to run it for me. I'm trying to figure out how to keep my vision, what my vision is. Um, be hands off. Yeah. Have somebody put the time and effort that the business deserves and let myself have the space to like, I think I'm happier and healthier, like without it. And I'm a better person. So I think I can deliver more to my friends and clients if I'm not using it. Yeah. It has such an interesting effect on our ego and in the way that we value ourselves based upon the reactions of other people. I know that for some people it can kind of get out of hand. I've felt it get out of hand for myself. It's interesting how we can place our own value upon the reaction of other people, whether it be good or bad or no reaction at all. Totally. So yeah, I've been curious about what that would be like for somebody that has a, a really large following. Well, I think, I don't know if you've noticed that but I'm not very social on my social media. Like my social media is, I would say pretty strictly tattoos. I think there's maybe one photo of me and a client on there in the last 10 years, you know? And like every once in a while, I'll do an obligatory happy birthday or something because I feel some peer pressure or I don't know what it is, but I don't really know. I feel so, un it feels, it all feels so unhealthy. Like I feel like when I use social media, I feel pressured to use it. Like if I don't do this, I won't get appointments. If I don't do this, my clients will not like me or forget about me. If I don't do this, I won't connect with my friends. But when I really step away from it, my friends and loved ones and clients are right in front of my face. My clients make appointments, whether I post a photo or not, they're mostly returning clients and maybe they found me there, but I'm fortunate enough to have reoccurring clientele that I, I really appreciate and like. And I have tons of family and friends that call me and text me and show up probably more than I even have time to hang out with. Right. And um, I just try to think about it like a website and like, if it's a really good website, that's curated really well, that is up to date. Most companies aren't managing their own website. Maybe they come up with an idea and they have somebody make the website look that way. And then people go to the website and they, they do the stuff, they shop and decide how to, what buttons to click and what they want to do. And that just happens naturally. But the difference between social media, like I think you're quite, you can be quite in fluctuates, but I've seen you be quite social or you divulge a lot of intimate information, which is awesome because I love seeing it and I, and other people do too. But I would definitely say that if I was doing it the way you would, I would definitely be looking at looking a little bit more at like what kind of response I was getting. And yeah. I think I would find that really hard for me. Yeah. I think just because my interests are so diverse. So because Instagram is the way in which I could share my writing, then I can use yeah. it as an avenue to do that. Whereas I wouldn't really get to if I, you know, another way. Um, I think it's awesome. It's very, thought. it's a lot of like, emotional risk that makes it so beautiful and like awesome to watch 
especially from my perspective, I don't divulge any of that. So it's awesome to see it. Thanks. I kind of got into this idea over the past couple of years of body, mind, and spirit that were made up of, of these three things, which I didn't get a good foundation as a kid in terms of how to live. And I've started to think that we're kind of like ships. Our bodies are like ships that we're navigating through this existence like an ocean. And if if we're taught how to how to sail these ships, then it's easier for us to navigate. And uh, if we're not taught, it's harder. And I feel like you have learned to to navigate pretty well. But there's also times where you know where we fuck up and it's not going so well. Could you tell me, is there a failure that stands out for you that you've learned from something where your kind of ship went on the rocky shore and you crashed and like, ah, fuck. Well, I don't know. Will you you phrase that question for me again? So So, like, what's a a failure that you've experienced? What's a, a struggle that you've had to deal with or a time when it felt like things got all fucked up that felt really bad that you ended up learning a lot from in a positive way? I would say that starting with, like you said, like the mind, body, spirit and having the ship that you need to use to sail yourself through life and that maybe coming from your parents and back to the beginning work ethic and communication. And I think you're right. I have a pretty good ship to get through the weather, the lacking thing and maybe why I learned two separate things and not one conjoined thing from my parents. The only turmoils that come to mind or like failures have been intimate or romantic relationships and maybe some friendships that that were intimate in a non-romantic sense. But I would say like the long-term relationships that I've been in and their endings are probably like the failures that have changed me the most. I was in like a six-year relationship and then a three-year relationship and then a four-year relationship and all of those in pretty pinnacle ages in my life. I think like I can remember specifically at the end of each one reflecting. And I think those have been the biggest reflections of myself. In a day-to-day basis, I kind of act the same with people I come in contact with. I'm pretty emotionally capable and open and communicate well. And I don't find myself being very defensive or insecure. And I find as soon as I'm romantically involved or like in love with somebody, I'm super insecure. I can't communicate anymore. I, I'm just like a mess. And it's crazy because I'm not anywhere else. And so that ship that you're talking about is a good metaphor to think about this because I'm fine in every aspect of my life except for romance, (laughs) but I'm such a hopeless romantic. So it's like (laughs) losing those loved ones has been my biggest failures and are to me, but I would say the biggest failure in those has been my lack of communication or my miscommunication but then you've learned or, through those. Now you have the ability to see those things where you didn't have that before, right? So you wouldn't exactly. have the insight without the, without the struggles or the loss. Yeah. So more specifically, like I, I would say that, well, on top of that, like as you know, but the listeners wouldn't, I, I got sober like a year and a half ago. And I think that was like the biggest final change from failure that I realized that would have been the thing that affected all those moments I'm talking about each relationship I've had and it it kind of coming to an end. I find that in my 
romantic relationships, I've found it hard to communicate about my insecurities or be as open or honest as I am with others around me that aren't romantic partners. I could very easily tell you about my insecurities or um, how I'm feeling or tell you the most embarrassing thing ever. And which we've be done. not defensive. Of, yeah, which we've done. And it's, and I don't even think twice about it, but then I've been in relationships and not been as in tune with my emotions or what's going on. And, and I've lost partners because of that. And each time I've realized it's the same thing. I communicated horribly. We were arguing. I could have done this better. And then the next time I'm in a relationship, I fall into the same pattern and I communicate horribly or I argue or I'm defensive and I don't divulge. I'm not like in tune with my insecurities and what they, what reality is, or I don't have any mind, body or soul or whatever it is. I'm just emotionally reacting. I'm just a living reaction, which is embarrassing. Yeah. And I found when I stopped drinking, my mind was extremely clear and I was very in tune with my emotions and even without learning more about communication I communicated way better than I ever did and I realized that maybe that's what was failing me in the past is while enjoying myself in these romantic relationships divulging and multiple libations turned into um, me not being able to communicate or be in tune with my emotions and lead to kind of tumultuous yeah situations and looking back on it what do you think that that the drugs and the booze or the partying what do you think that that was providing you i think i was self-medicating mostly for adhd in hindsight because now that i've quit i noticed that it's really uncomfortable my adhd is really uncomfortable and Alcohol is a depressant and it relaxes me. I think at a very young age, like you know, I started drinking prior to 15, but I think 15 years old was when I was started really drinking a lot and like getting drunk every day. And like, it never felt that way. It felt like a, like a calm. It was like, I woke up anxious and crazy and I'd get through the day. And then I always look forward to the night and I was just calm. And also i in hindsight, I wasn't surrounding myself with the right people but what I liked was emotion and connection and I found that when I was in a situation with people and they were drunk they were emotional and like wanted to connect and I felt like got really close with people when we were partying Um, but I now realize that the right people can do that totally sober and you don't have to be hammered to have an emotional connection with somebody (laughs) actually you have a way more emotional connection with somebody when you're not hammered those deep cocaine Um, talks but but i just didn't have i didn't have any um experience with that i was revolving my life around drinking so everybody that i was putting in front of me was somebody that would want to go to the bar or go to a restaurant with liquor or get fucked up in the airport or do whatever it is and i had really luckily stumbled upon a lot of people that were able to be emotionally capable sober, but I hadn't really experienced it sober because I was always drinking. So once I shed the alcohol, I realized like, well, there's all these people right here that like don't need to get drunk to connect with, or I connect with even better when I'm not. And and I think I could have used that. You know, I noticed that through losing loved ones in romantic relationships, but 
what I learned was that that was there with everybody in my life on a daily basis. And I was, I've missed out on a lot of deeper communications, even though I was having them and I've lost out on deeper relationships. And it's not the worst thing in the world. I have a lot of time left and I'm glad that I noticed it now. And I don't think I would have as much like, I wouldn't be living with as much intent without those mistakes. But, but yeah, I would say that's probably my biggest failure. I feel empathetic to missing out on what could have been in so many situations by not being present for a lot of them. Yeah. All right. We'll wind it up here pretty soon. Are there any books that you've read that are important to you that you would recommend? Yeah, several. I'm trying to think of ones that you didn't suggest to me. (laughs) (laughs) Those have been all my favorite ones. But um, Well, they're good. Remind me what they were. Okay. I think I have three. My number one that I think I've like used on a very, on an every single day basis since I read it is nonviolent communication. It's a book about how our day-to-day communication can trigger defensiveness in humans without deliberately saying something violent. So the title makes it sound like how to not maybe say fuck you or something like that, but it's more how to not use the word you so much in sentences to be like pointing fingers at people and how you can like disarm people's anxiety or their um, defensiveness and get the most out of a conversation, like really hold someone's attention and be heard as well as hear people. It's so good. It's crazy. I use it with clients. I use it with my girlfriend, I use it with family, like every single person I talk to, it's really helpful. I love that one. And then um, the one that helped me and it really, I think it pertains to this conversation of like working really hard and keeping a vision of what you want to do and having plans and um, pushing forward was that book, the Tony Robbins book, Awaken the Giant Within that you told me to read. That was really awesome. I liked specifically the book was about this power that everybody has inside of them to do whatever you want, do it well, and that we all hold ourselves back and there's no real need to hold anything back. But I liked the way that he walked you through situations, but they were so open-ended. You could apply it to any aspect in your life. And I've listened to it several times and applied it to different things, whether it be a relationship or work or, um, you know, even like family or whatever it is. And it has a whole different meaning. I feel like when you Mm -hmm. listen to it with like in a different intention. And then this last one, my mom told me to read, but it's called, um, taming your gremlins and i can't remember who that one's by but um richard carson how you got it right there on the show (laughs) (laughs) nice i love that one um that one is so cool too just like the tony robbins one it's not specific to what like you can apply it to anything you want in life it basically it's teaching cognition really like noticing something while it's happening and like choosing your reaction to it but instead of teaching it to you in like a therapeutic way or like a scientific way it's a goofy funny way to like notice your thoughts when they come up and 
make a new decision and literally rewriting neural pathways in your brain which i like that he explains that as well like the science behind it but in a total goofy way of yeah taming your gremlin that's a great one that is a great book man um all right what advice would you give to a 13 year old kid coming up in 2021 damn you have all the good questions (laughs) um (laughs) That's a hard one. My brain is like racing with thoughts. There's so many. I would say don't take human interaction for granted. Once this pandemic is has subsided, be emotional. Don't be afraid of your emotions. Share them with others. Talk as much as you can with your mouth, not your phone. <laughs> and do things outside get a job that you have to move and work and do something with your body to create and um, travel as much as you can and apply all those things while you're traveling. All right. And then how would you define success? What is success for you? I think for me, success is meeting my goals, whatever they are. You know, sometimes my goals bring me happiness. Sometimes they don't. I don't think success for me directly correlates with happiness because sometimes I meet my goal and it doesn't make me happy. And sometimes I do and I've never been happier. But for me, it's just meeting my goal, learning how to communicate better and reading that book and uh, applying it and wa- and reaping rewards. Like that's a great one that has given me happiness and um, is something that like I will continue Sometimes I have a financial goal and I'll meet it and it doesn't make me happy at all, but I still succeeded in, in my goal. That's great. I like that. Thanks, cool. I like Thanks buddy. I think yeah, a great dude. way to, to say it is that you, you don't care whether the sales are facing in the right direction. It just has to look good. <laughs> and that's how you sell your ship and you're sailing it really well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you for letting me be this first podcast. This is really awesome. It means a lot to me. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I welcome your feedback. Let me know what you thought. And if you feel like it, subscribe. And the theme music is by my friend Dave Perry down in Costa Rica. You can find his music on Bandcamp. Pilgrim and I'm here to sing my song